Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. This Easter Sunday, 2023, our text this morning will be Matthew chapter 28. We'll look at the first 10 verses. Our church government is elder rule. You want to make yourself feel old, and I certainly feel that this morning. Five of the seven elders I saw do kids singing on Easter, and so I'm one of the seven, and the only other one is Bobby, who I did not see, but uh, four of them have, and, and the final one is going to have a baby this month, and that's going to be my grandson. <laughs> so let's give it up for that. <laughs> uh, all right, the text, as I said, is Matthew chapter 28. Look with me at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the, the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. <clears throat> And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. <coughs> Excuse me. Do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, now as we open this text, the account that Matthew gives us on this Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of your Son, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, I pray you would illuminate our minds as the church to be built in the truth. And Holy Spirit, I certainly would ask and pray that you would regenerate and give resurrection life to those hearts that are dead in unbelief. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was born on April 3rd, 1960, 
<laughs> my first Sunday in church was two weeks later, April 17th, 1960, and that was Easter Sunday. So this for me now is 63 years of going to church on Easter, and throughout the, the course of my lifetime, you know, Easter has, has taken shape in, in different ways. I say that, and it's not all been good. It's almost as if in some settings, Easter is passed off like an, an American folklore, or through the invention of, of Big Eva, it's gravitated towards things that aren't the most important issue. Easter, though, as we have found from Good Friday through Pastor Alex's sermon, is really the fulfillment of a promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Throughout my lifetime, there have been several spiritual leader types, um, Christ types, if you will, and probably better anti-Christ types. Some of you may recall Jim Jones from 1978 in the People's Temple. Netflix has just come out with a, a documentary on the Branch Davidians in Waco, David Koresh, in 1993. And also in 1997, there was another individual of an Antichrist type known as Marshall Applewhite. You may remember him being on the face of Newsweek as Doe, and that picture of him all wide-eyed. All of these circumstances ended in mass murders and suicide. In the People's Temple, there were over 900, I think it was 913, that committed suicide. In the Waco event, there were 82 people total killed, and 28 of those were children. And then in 1997, by the authority of Doe, 39 people dressed in all dark t-shirts and pants and Nike tennis shoes, committed suicide. Three of them helping them, and then the final three went after the 36 had passed. Um, obviously, those are cultic circumstances, and, and yet there's, there's been always followings. There were even followings during the time of Christ, and, and some, of, some of us might be a little bit more familiar if we're not familiar with those. These are individuals on a grander scale, um, Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, all were indefatigable religious leaders, and yet none of them taught any assurance of salvation about the afterlife when one dies. They were moral teachers, 
but they weren't teaching or giving a message that could actually save, save the soul. And so as, as we gather here for the next few moments and we spend our time in Matthew chapter 28's account, um, I feel compelled, certainly in a, a room this size, to want to give you something that is real. Something that will move past any attempt to try to touch your emotions. Um, because the Christian faith is, is real. It's based on truth, but it's truth that is rooted in history. It is truth that had eyewitness accounts. So as we're alive today, on this Easter Sunday in 2023, these accounts took place. Good Friday, Jesus went to the Mount Golgotha, and he died. And on this very Sunday, some 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was born, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, and then, yes, Jesus ascended to, to heaven, and all of those had eyewitness accounts, accounts that people testified to. People not only believed in them as if they were some sort of pithy statement, they witnessed it. And in that witnessing of what took place, they then moved on to tell those events and how God had transformed them through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Scripture itself gives us 13 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus that are recorded in Scripture. Now, here's what I want you to think about before we dive into the text. One of those appearances in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tell us that Jesus appeared before 500 brethren. 500 men Jesus appeared. And at the time that Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians, he said most of those people are still alive. Nearly all that witnessed Jesus resurrected were brutally murdered. And they were brutally murdered because they would not deny having seen Jesus alive. So for those of you who may be a skeptic of the Bible, I want you to just contemplate this. Just think about this in light of history. Now, most of the people in this room weren't alive for this, but really, I think the turn of, against uh, institutions in America happened in probably the wildest decade of my life is the 60s. And as a result of the 60s, or part of the 60s, in the early 70s became an event called Watergate, and Watergate was broadcast live on television. I'll never forget coming home in middle school 
and my mom was watching it every day on the edge of her seat. And at that time, I really didn't pay much attention to it, but I want you to think about this logically as America itself transitioned, really. Five men could not hold together one lie. Five men. Not 500. Five men. There really is no event in history that has changed the world as the resurrection of Jesus, the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. Lifeway and Ligonier do a study on religion every two years. In the 2022 study, a survey, this is, gets a little weird to me, to Christian American adults, two out of every three, so 67% believed in the resurrection. I kind of wondered, well, what about the other third? What are they believing in? And what are they even thinking about? Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where our elder Bobby read from, if the resurrection isn't true, we're to be pitied. And why in the world are you even here? There's no reason to meet. I think in Christendom today, many desire a lighter Jesus, one to enjoy for mere humanitarian reasons, things like to be kind, um, to love one another. All those, of course, are attributes of the true Savior, but I really think that People desire a tame Jesus. A Jesus, really, that isn't real. Because he's not described like that in Scripture. So as we begin to look at this text, we're going to look at five things in this particular account, one of the 13, that had effects on creation the angel, the guards, the women, and Jesus himself. And yet, as we move through this particular account, and this is the only one we're going to look at, I want you to think about what are you thinking about Jesus in light of history? A history that has been attested to. A history that is real. And what I hope to do this morning is to present to you God's message called the gospel, which is a real message. And it's a message that can reach deep into your soul and change your heart and change your life. We look back to the text and the Bible tells us in verse 2, on this particular Sunday, and you know, there's, this account's given in four different areas, but we're going to just focus on Matthew chapter 28, meaning four different Gospels. And here, though, the text tells us, Behold, there was a great earthquake. 
the resurrection of Jesus and, of course, the life of Jesus had an effect on creation. When Jesus rose from the dead this morning, as it took place, a great earthquake occurred. You'll recall from Good Friday, as Pastor Alex preached from Matthew's account and moving around, that Jesus was on the cross at 9 a.m. on Friday. But the Bible tells us that creation itself, from noon to 3 p.m., and at 3 p.m. he died, the, the land went dark. It was under total darkness. As was read Friday night from Isaiah chapter 53, I think Pastor Bobby read from that text. Jesus was becoming the sin offering for sin. The just one for those who are unjust. In darkness, Christ was left on the cross, deserted, as he suffered for the sin of God's elect. When I consider and I think of creation being held in darkness, to me, it's as if creation itself is ashamed of the world. Creation knows that it was created by Christ. According to John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. The Creator, the King of all creation, was dying on Good Friday. And yet on this morning, as day break, creation shook. But it wasn't a, sh a shaking for fear. It was the shaking of a pronouncement. As this great earthquake thunders, and then eventually the angel comes down, the earth is going to know now new creation has come. The King Jesus will walk out of the grave, and our Creator is alive. As a result, a global revolution started across the globe. The kingdom of God's redemptive plan is going on now through the majority that are sitting here. We're on the other side of the globe. We're worshiping a Savior that walked out of a tomb. Scripture tells us in Galatians 1.1 that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I will raise myself from the dead. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. All three were a part of this Resurrection Sunday. And for us, though, it's as if the creation now knows we're moving into a new era. And currently, if you're to read Romans chapter 8, creation is groaning in anticipation and waiting for the day when the Creator will return and make everything new. Creation had an effect on that day that Jesus rose from the dead. Secondly, we want to look at the angel, and the angel is mentioned here in verse 
2 through 7. It says, An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone that sat on it. It's like God allows the earthquake to make an announcement and then down comes the angel, and if he used the earthquake or if he just rolled it out, it doesn't matter either way. It doesn't change the text. But the angel of the Lord descends, and he sits upon this stone that was covering the Lord's grave. Angels are God's messengers. They do the king's bidding. We're not to worship angels, yet angels are significant as the creation of God, and God, of course, utilizes them. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, as Jerusalem was being attacked by an Assyrian, God used an angel that night to slay 185,000 Assyrians. Angels are said, according to Psalm chapter 91, verse 11 and 12, to protect God's people. The book of Revelation describes an angel flying across the third heavens and declaring the everlasting gospel. But in this particular setting, the angel sets upon a rock doing our king's bidding, and he's about to make a pronouncement. The pronouncement is this, Jesus is alive. He sets, as he makes this pronouncement, Matthew describes the setting as if he looks like lightning, certainly in your mind's eye, it, there's a brightness to this. His clothing is as white as snow. And as he turns his attention to the women, he tells them, do not be afraid. And this would be an awesome sight to see, to begin with. But do not be afraid, for the Son of God is risen. He is alive. Now come and see the tomb that is empty and then go and tell the brothers to go to Galilee because it's there, of course, I'm going to meet them. The angels had a part on the resurrection of Jesus. The third group that we're going to look at here is the guards. The guards, of course, are mentioned in the text in verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards, plural, trembled and become like dead men. Now again, for those of you who were here Friday night, Pastor Alex did well to point our attention to the political environment of the time between the Romans and the Jews. So, these weren't security mall cops. <laughs> These were battle-tested warriors, Roman soldiers. And they were sent there specifically due to the political nature of Christ's death 
and the stir that was going on in Jerusalem. They were left in charge of the tomb. But it's for nearly a hundred years at this point in history that Rome has taken over a part of the temple and they're making sure they even put in the right high priest as greasy palms give grease to the other palm. They were set there to protect the body due to the nature of what was going on in Jerusalem. And the Romans themselves knew how to treat harshly any messianic type. Pontius Pilate along with Rome thought they had cured this perceived evil to them. But I want to be clear about this because when you read the Gospels, I think people get an inappropriate view of Pilate. Pilate despised the Jews, and he hated his post. He thought they were despicable. And yet, like a lot of politicians, he was a corrupt leader, and he regularly took bribes. And just so finally, though he was struck with the pure, holy nature of who Christ was, and his wife's warning... He went ahead with it because he just wanted this off his plate. The guards themselves, the text tells us, see the angel, they feel the earthquake, and they fear and they tremble, and they become like dead men. They're traumatized. The soldiers here, though, really picture something for us. The guards mark those in unbelief. Unbelievers' hearts are dead, and there is no life in them. And yet deep within those who do not believe, they possess a fear of death, though some may not want to admit it. Unbelief, friends, is unreasonable. Think of the scene in terms of what the guards experience, then jump down with me to verse 11. They know the grave is empty. They've seen the angel, and then they, they, they basically faint over and have to be awakened. And after this event happens, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Now think about this. They described to the chief priest that put together, again, as Pastor Alex mentioned Friday night, a kangaroo court, Jesus the innocent one wasn't even tried rightly by their own Jewish law because they wanted one thing. They wanted him out of the way. He was messing things up. He was hurting their financial system, and as a result, they wanted him dead. Though there would be witness accounts of Lazarus being raised from the dead and people running and telling the chief priest, the chief priest, because unbelief, my friends, is unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense. It's not based on truth. 
It's rooted in a foundation that gets suppressed in fear. And it manages itself with money or power or whatever sort you want to fill it with. And in here, a deal again is made. Verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and they had taken counsel, they talk about what are going to do about this. You know, they're not concerned, either one of them, about the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Rather, after they take counsel, they gave a sufficient money to the soldiers. They, they decided on the price, pay him off and just tell a lie. Tell him that the disciples came and stole his body. Why? Because unbelief is unreasonable. It puts off the obvious. Unbelief does not want to look to the future. The future of what will happen after this life. Dear friends, pride is the reason why the lost won't repent. Pride is the reason why they won't Look at the truth. Think of their own lives. Think of the consistency. Think about the historical account. Unbelief is unreasonable. But please, friend, know this. Your pride will send you to hell. And all of humanity along with the unredeemed, will face Jesus in the judgment. It's a day that the Bible says that has been appointed. You have the exact day already written down when God is going to take you from this life. No amount of exercise, no amount of healthy eating is going to remove that day. Listen, I'm an advocate. Brother knows I need to lose about 20. All right, maybe 30. <laughs> All humanity will face Jesus in the judgment. There's a fourth group in this account. We find them again in verse 2. The Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. They're, of course, mentioned in... Matthew chapter 27, verse 56. The early church, after Jesus would ascend, would, would collectively meet on Solomon's porch in the temple, and then they would go to homes. And pretty much if you asked Mary in the church to get a cup of coffee, if she wanted one, half the church would have turned to you. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary... Uh, who's the mother to James and Joseph. There's Mary, the mother of James and John, the disciples. There is Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary, who's married to, married to Clopas. Anybody in here named Clopas? <laughs> On this particular morning, though, these sweet, dear, beautiful women who had supported Jesus' ministry according to Luke chapter 8, were bringing spices for the Lord's body. And upon seeing this event, the angel once again says to the women, 
do not be afraid. The number one command that the Bible gives Christians in the New Testament is do not be afraid. That's our number one command. So you know when, when fear and anxiety and these things begin to overwhelm you, you know that's not coming from God. God wants us to depend on Him. God wants us to lean on Him. God wants us to trust in Him, even as believers, for everything we have. And yet in this traumatic moment, the angel, of course, tells the women to not be afraid and to go and see the tomb. And it's certainly reasonable, right, that they would be afraid. Here is the angel. Ultimately, they see that the body of Jesus is gone. So the women have fear, and yet they have great joy because it's been told them that Jesus is alive. I don't think we can undersell this emotion. It's raw. The human dynamic to the resurrection of Jesus makes logical sense because it's truthful. All of the disciples are depressed. Everything they felt they had given their lives to for some three years now is dying on a cross. The men themselves, for the most part, are just huddled up in a room together, distraught. Please, will you witness with me the depression, the discouragement. And then, all of a sudden, it gets flipped with great joy and excitement. People don't work that way outside of the resurrection. This was a supernatural event. One that transformed the lives of not only the disciples and these women, for those of you that are sitting here that believe you possess resurrection life in your soul. Come and see and go and tell. Well, as the women make their way, verse 9, jump with me to verse 9, says this, And behold, now Jesus meets them and says, Greetings. If you're reading out of an ESV, which I am, it says greetings with an exclamation point. It's a normal, right, greeting, kind of like when we say, hey, how you doing, type thing. But here, it does have an added emphasis. Jesus knows they're afraid. Jesus created them. Jesus knows they've got great joy, given the announcement that's just made to them by the angel Inside that Greek word for greetings means rejoice, be glad, because I'm alive. Immediately, the women go to his feet, and they bow at his feet, and they worship him. And this is always the result of those who genuinely believe they bow at the feet of Jesus and we worship Him. And in so doing, Jesus then tells them, Now go tell the brothers 
to go to Galilee, Galilee to the Gentiles, that's what it was known as. Galilee was the doorway to the world, which is really a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham that in your seed, not just Israel, but all the nations of the world would be blessed. Jesus, of course, would send his disciples out later in this chapter with the Great Commission. The last account that's given here in Matthew chapter 28, the first 10 verses, is one of Jesus. On Good Friday, Jesus took the Sabbath into the grave with him. On this Sunday, he walks out of the tomb and he brings the Lord's Day. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus is the Christ, has been proven by his resurrection. Jesus truly has conquered sin and death in rising from the dead. If we are left with Good Friday only without the resurrection, there would be no reason to meet. But Jesus did rise from the dead. But Muhammad didn't, and Confucius didn't, and neither did Buddha. They're all dead. But Jesus is alive. As a result of this occurrence, the disciples are wondering, what do I do now? Just as each of us should be wondering, what do we do now as a result of the resurrection? If you look at Luke's account, they go to chapter 24, we won't turn there, but Jesus will gather all these people together and he will point them in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, that all of the Old Testament, all of the Levitical system was simply pointing to me, and now you're going to go into all the world and you're going to make disciples of every nation, and here's the assurance that you will give them. If they will repent, forgiveness of sins can be known. In my name, Jesus' name. Because right now, friends, the gospel is free. According even to Romans chapter 10, verse 6 and 7 in there, it talks about the gospel, the message that comes from our lips, that Christ's presence, when the word is open, he is near he is near. He will save. Easter is about this. It's about the simplicity of the gospel. God in love sent his son. Jesus came in love for his father. But church, he came in love for you. He lived the life that we are supposed to live. He died the death that we rightly deserve. And yes, He rose from the dead. That if you will believe on Him, your faith will make you acceptable to God. Christ's resurrection assured that God will live with His people forever. But what effect does Christ have on you? Jesus would begin his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, 
Repent and believe the gospel. This is the most important segment of this in terms of how to apply the resurrection. Will you repent and will you believe the gospel? What is repentance? Repentance is an acknowledgement that you're a sinner that moves past, oh yeah, I've, I've known a lot of lost people who reject his, yeah, I sin. It is an acknowledgement that not just that you are a sinner, but that you are a sinner on the inside and the out. That there's nothing you can do of yourself toward a holy God, but bring your sin. And genuine repentance in acknowledgement of that will turn towards God's mercy that is only offered in the Son of God, Jesus. So genuine repentance comes to acknowledge its own sin, but the heart begins to turn in a desire and a need, in a begging, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? I can't save myself. I think these really go together, repentance and genuine belief. Because in that movement to apprehend God's mercy, belief comes through knowledge, assent, and trust. The knowledge really is simply three things. That God is holy, He's holy and pure, and He will never accept anyone in eternity with Him unless they appropriate his son, Jesus. That God is holy, that I'm a sinner deserving of hell, and that Christ alone is the one that can gain me eternal life. Jesus would say this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no man, no humanity can come to the Father but by me. You must believe that in knowledge, but knowledge is not enough. Because you've just heard all the knowledge you need. You must not only have the knowledge, a necessary component to genuine faith, but you almost assent or head knowledge, believe those things to be true. To believe what God says about himself, what God says about Jesus, what God says about me, those things are true. And as they come together in your desire for forgiveness, please, friends, know this assuredly. If you trust in Jesus alone, he'll save you. That's the promise of the gospel. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, that phrase, call upon the name of the Lord, is repentance and belief. Only Christ saves. Last week on Palm Sunday, Pastor Alex posed the question for us, who is Jesus? Jesus is the resurrected Lord. He's the Christ, the Messiah, that was promised when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Folks, you need something that's real. 
You don't need moral therapy. You don't need self-improvement. Man, we need a Savior. And only Jesus can forgive you of your sin. Dear friend, trust in Christ alone because He alone is the answer. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Father, now as we come to the time where your people will dine at your table, the sacrament that is left for your people, we are baptized into the church upon our faith. We then, in a week-to-week way, dine at this holy meal called the Lord's Supper. The bread, an example of Jesus' body sacrificed for our sin. The wine represented as Christ's blood shed on our behalf. On this Easter Sunday, 2023, Lord, build your church in the truth. Lord, awaken the dead heart in their sin. May they see their sin as unreasonable and their unbelief as being unreasonable, cloaked with pride. Father, might they know your son this morning in genuine faith so that they won't face him one day as their judge, but as their Savior. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.